being in post-production, you develop a relationship with people. They become your friends, your family, you can rely on them. The elephant in the room is the pandemic and everyone transitioning from home. Because for me, the reality is I'm still interviewing people all around the country and around now London. So I can't be in every location at every time to meet people in person. So I feel like what happened was suddenly people got used to being on video. We believe in this community. And one of the first things, you know, it was three months in when the pandemic hit and everybody's like going home and I was the first recruiter that they had. And I was a little nervous because I'm like, okay, companies are letting people go. Why are they gonna need a recruiter right now? And I was talking to one of the founding partners and this conversation came up because I was a little worried, you know, I was the new kid on the block. And he was like, no way. He's like, this is the time to hire people. This is the time to support our community. I am not letting anyone go. And you go out there, you find the people who are being let go. Let's interview them and get them in the door. Hi, and welcome to the VFX Artist Podcast. This week we have Melissa Blakey, who is from Crafty Apes in Los Angeles. And she's a recruiter, and she's here to tell us a little bit about her career and, of course, her advice for people that want to get into recruitment in VFX or VFX artists looking to getting recruited good books. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Melissa. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. It's a pleasure. So did you come into VFX after working in recruitment or did you get into recruitment after working in VFX or did you do something completely different? How, how did you? I actually, I started my career um, in production. Um, you know, I think like a lot of people, I had this dream of being on set and being a director or something like that. Um, and I went to Syracuse University got my degree in film and television. And probably about six months into being on set, I realized I hated it. <laughs> I just, there was nothing about it that was enjoyable. I, I didn't like the way people were treated. And um, I didn't like that you didn't have like a family, you know, like you, mm -hmm. you work with these people and then they disappear and you go on to another production. And I was chatting with a friend of mine and he's like, why don't you try post-production? And I was like, oh, I never really thought of that. So he got me a job at the company he was at. Um, that was in New York City at the time. And I just started as night receptionist, worked my way up, um, eventually got into producing, um, and then was approached by a company in Los Angeles for visual effects producer. And I decided, why not? <laughs> so I packed up and left boot camp, which is what I call New York City, <laughs> and moved to LA. And um, my career began there. I was a visual effects producer for um, over two decades and worked, you know, when I came to LA, I transitioned into more features and episodics and, and whatnot, along with commercial work. And then um, kind of delve also into broadcast design and stuff. So I kind of had a, I have a very well-rounded idea of what each project would look like as a producer. Um, and so I did that for a long time and then had a son and my husband was an effects artist. So um, kind of decided that being a producer getting on client calls after hours when I'm trying to raise my son and be a mom and a wife. It just wasn't for me. And I was chatting with a friend who was like, you know, did you ever think about a visual effects recruiting position? And I was like, yeah, that sounds right, you know? Um, and it was really funny because I approached uh, multiple companies like The Mill, you know, um, various other visual effects companies because they had recruiting positions. And their answers to me were, oh, I'm sorry, we're looking for people with recruiting experience. <laughs> and I had a laugh because I'm like, as a producer, a huge part of your job is recruiting. You know, you're constantly looking for talent. It's not like every company has a set of recruiters working for you. Um, so I often was on my own trying to find the talent and booking artists. So, and I had a, a really well-rounded understanding of what visual effects is. 
So it just seemed funny to me that they were like, no, we want someone who's actually HR recruiter side. I'm like, okay. So, um, but then I, I stumbled across Deluxe who, um, they saw the value in my background and they needed a creative visual effects recruiter for their Encore locations. And I took that and that's where it all ended. I ended up at Crafty Apes and here I am. Well, that's, that's an amazing story. I mean, two decades in production, and then it's kind of ironic that you were told you didn't have the experience for a recruiting <laughs> role, which <laughs> it seems kind of insane. Um, but uh, I th that's an amazing journey. I mean, going from on set to VFX production, and then did you meet your husband at work, if you don't mind me asking? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it seems like this industry, that's where you mainly meet people. You're, we met in New York City, actually. Um, and then journeyed out here to LA. So, um, yeah, we had, he was a 3d artist that we hired in our New York office. We were just friends, but we reconnected back out here in LA. So, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's amazing. Cause I think everyone kind of knows everyone. So it becomes your circle of friends. So, you know, I mean, for many people, it's kind of unusual. But in this industry, there is an element of that, apart from when you, people make conscious decisions to kind of, like, get away. <laughs> well, it's it's very much like we're a family. I feel like the visual effects community is very tight. Um, and I think it goes back to what my friend said back early on in my career is being in post-production, you develop a relationship with people they become your friends, that your family, you can rely on them. And that's how, my, how I felt. I mean, a lot of the people I worked with early on in my career in New York City, all once I came to LA, they all came out here and we all still work together. I would hire them at companies I was at. We went in business together. We freelanced together. So I, I've always had this community and I, that's why the recruiting side seems so perfect. I already know the people. I, I understand it, and it's been a great transition um, out of producing. And I, I, I encourage producers who, like, want to, you know, take a step back, you know, raise a family, you know, have more of a 9-to-5, 9-to-6 job. It's a, it's a great way to transition. Um, will you make the same money you make as a producer? Maybe, maybe more. It depends on your title, you know, and it depends on how far you work your way up. But um, it's a really easy transition to go from producing to recruiting. Yeah, as you say, I mean, producers, I mean, especially in smaller companies, are often the point of recruitment. So, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, yes, obviously your DNEGs and your ILMs, and they all have recruiters um, specifically, but that's not the case for a lot of No, places. and when I joined Crafty Apes, they didn't have any recruiters. It was very hands-on deck, producers, the visual effects supervisors, um, all searching for talent and bringing people in. Um, it wasn't until their um, global vision to expand that they realized they needed to bring someone on who could globally um, you know, be in charge of hiring talent and finding talent. Um, so that was exciting too because I got to come in and it was my department, so I got to own it, you know, and yeah. um, hire my team and just be a part of the journey of them expanding now to London. So, so yeah, I mean, so, so LA, you've got London uh, just coming, and um, what um, has it expanded anywhere else? Do you have an office in Canada or any of these? Yes. So when I started, this is how quickly it's grown. I started in 2019, December, um, three months before the pandemic. And we had LA, New York, and Atlanta. Um, and then within the first three months that I was there, we expanded to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, Netflix had committed to a certain amount of work there. Um, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Disney and whatnot was shooting there. Um, all these places have great film tax incentives as well, so we take advantage of that. Um, and then we um, acquired a company in Vancouver, and then why not Montreal? <laughs> so it just kind of all happened during the pandemic. We grew from, uh, gosh, it was probably about 150 
total in three locations when I started, and now we're over 600. Wow, that's that's some serious growth. I mean, so you were hiring a lot of people. So the first people you had to hire were... I was busy. <laughs> I was busy, yes. So the first people you actually had to hire were recruiters because you, you needed to the grow f- your team. No, I was the only one. I started as my title, Global Head of Talent Acquisition, and um, I basically was just given, okay, we want to expand the New York office, so let's start there. So I flew to New York, met the team, and started recruiting over there for them, and then was just, you know, handling Atlanta and L.A. as well. Um, And then when we, you know, had to suddenly hire people in Baton Rouge. Well, that was a challenge, Albuquerque and Baton Rouge, because those aren't markets you normally have talent living in. And in order to take advantage of any film, television tax incentives that the state offers, um, artists have to be located in the state. They have to be mm-hmm. working in the state and contributing to the economy and, and whatnot. Um, so, you know, when the pandemic hit, it was kind of this odd Thing where talent wanted to get out of LA. They wanted to get out of their normal, you know, comfort zone and just pack up and go somewhere more quiet and work from home. So I actually transitioned and relocated um, about 10 artists from various locations around the country, um, including one guy from Japan to Louisiana. Um, so that was that was a challenge, but fun trying to grow you know, markets where you don't typically have the artists. Like Atlanta, we all know the team there. We know who's there. In New York, I know who's there. In L.A. Um, so it was that was a challenge. Vancouver was pretty easy. It's such a big market in Vancouver and Montreal, and there's so much talent there, as well as in London and L.A. So those aren't as challenging. Um, but we built that team in Baton Rouge. It was going to just be a small, mighty 15 to 20 people, and now it's around 35 and growing. So Wow. So, yeah, seven locations now adding on eight for London, which has not officially launched yet, but will in March. That's that's awesome. And so, yeah, so you're, as we speak, you're, you know, pretty heavily involved in recruiting for London. Um, so have you been to London? Are you... I have not been to London. <laughs> Um, but I do see it in my future. <laughs> yeah, I think if you, I think for New Yorkers, I think more. I think it's it, it probably. I, I shouldn't move while I'm, but I think it's more familiar to New Yorkers than to people from LA. I just feel like there's certain you can tell from even just comedies and and shows and kind of humor. There's a similar kind of kind of vibe going on. Maybe I mean New York's obviously twenty four hours. Definitely, I'm weirdly closes early. Yeah, I'm I'm an East Coast girl. I grew up in Connecticut, so, and I lived and worked in New York. So I, I do feel like it's more of that London vibe, kind of a little bit sarcastic, um, you know, mm. and hardworking. Um, it was funny because when I lived in New York, I do call it boot camp because it was like a hard knocks like lesson on how to be a good worker and how to be a good employee and get your job done and be on time and never leave people waiting. And I transitioned to LA, which I had only been one time before to visit someone. And it was like, I felt like I was running circles around people and everybody was in slow motion. And one time, one of my coworkers, she she just looked at me and she goes, you know, you can slow down a little. You're not in New York anymore. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, okay. Um, it just felt like less of an urgency. People took more time to actually talk to each other and, you know, be people. And in New York, it was very much, no, you get your job done, stay till 5 a.m. if you have to deliver the show, you know. Um, not that I didn't do that here in L.A. and you don't work hard in L.A. It was just a different sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was glad I had that experience to bring with me in my career. Yeah, I think that's it's always good to start with the, I guess, the hardest place. And then everything, you just feel grateful, don't you? You have that sense of gratitude when you're allowed to slow down or if you or if you move to a facility where, you know, they do try to work more normal hours and you've come out of 
somewhere where you've been doing lots of late. You just have a, this massive gratitude to that. And I, I think you kind of keep that with you and the whole time, even if other artists might be moaning or something, you kind of are like, well, you know, you don't know. <laughs> you don't know. Yeah. And a lot of what I learned, I brought into recruiting too. It's like, you know, I, ha I have my list. I'm As a producer, you want to check off things on your list. You just want to cross it off and move on to the next thing. Um, what was interesting about recruiting is it's not like you're delivering a project. So you're, you're never crossing it. You're crossing things off your list, but then you're adding on 10 more items. So it always became like, I finally had to like teach myself, okay, I'm always going to have a list and that list is just going to keep growing and I just have to learn to go with it. Um, but you know, that was the big difference, you know, as a producer, I'm sure many producers out there will get that. Like you want to have your list crossed off and then when it's done, you throw it in the trash and you move on to the next one, you know? Um, I, I've always interested in actually recruitment in VFX because from your angle, I mean, before we get into like the artist's point of view, but what I've also noticed in production is very often you want to get some artists on a show, but then the show maybe isn't confirmed or the work isn't confirmed or the, the amount of shots that you're going to have uh, as a vendor uh, are variable and you're in this position where you really need very good people and possibly a lot of very good people in certain roles and you're not 100% sure if you need those roles at all. So you're in this position where you probably need to talk to a lot of people, I don't know, to do roto or match move or... Um, or compositing but then maybe you don't need any or maybe you need 10 or maybe you need 100 and 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 i feel like as a recruiter that must be very challenging yeah um <laughs> it's it is challenging um i feel like maybe part of it is my experience in visual effects made it a little easier for me because i knew what to look for um, when I started recruiting for Deluxe, um, I was given the encores, Vancouver, Atlanta, and um, Burbank. And they were very much that, you know, okay, you have your full-on 3D department. You've got modeling, you've got rigging, you've got animation, you've got um, character effects, and so on. And so for me, that was challenging because I had always worked in companies where you pretty much... Every, you had generalists and your compositors. And I didn't deal with a lot of like 3D pipeline um, visual effects scenarios. Um, so that took a little bit of learning curve, but it was it happened pretty quick. I, I caught on to what was needed. Um, and then when I transitioned to Crafty Apes, they were very much, okay, we're looking for generalists. So that almost felt more overwhelming for me because it's harder to find a really good generalist who is very well-rounded and can comp composite and jump on nuke if needed. Um, that was that was the challenge. Um, it was almost easier having these big visual effects pipelines. Plus, when someone is, if a show is wrapping at a company, say Sony is wrapping, you know, in production. There's a lot of artists that are becoming available unless they're rolled onto another show. But if that show hasn't committed yet, like you're saying, if clients haven't, you know, signed the dotted line yet, then um, everybody's suddenly scrambling and looking for work. Uh, so yeah, it's it's challenging. Um, I'd say the most challenging time was during early 2022, when it was like a frenzy and everybody in the world was working 24/7 and Everybody was booked, and competition was really, really tight. It was stiff. It was, um, you know, people were, like, asking for more money. It was just, like, you know, bidding wars against artists. So that was crazy. That's when I finally got to bring on um, another recruiter and a coordinator to help out um, just to get through that. But we did it. We hired, like, 200 people in 2022. So it was... Uh, Challenging but doable. I think the other thing too is just like, what's your reputation as a company? You know, if you work, if you're working for a company that has a good reputation, then it makes it easier to sell. And the thing I found about Crafty Apes, which has been so enjoyable, is all the artists I talk to are like, I hear such good things about Crafty Apes from my friend who works there, or 
so-and-so or, you know, our client raves about you guys. And it's, that helps, you know, it's like just word of mouth and knowing that people enjoy our culture here is already a foot in the door, you know? Absolutely. Because, I mean, everyone has, every artist has the same feeling when a recruiter gets in touch with you, you know, which is the company. And there are companies that have a great reputation for projects. Uh, there are companies that have a great reputation for how they treat staff. Companies that have a reputation that is great for both. Some that are terrible for one and good for the other. And some that are terrible at both. Um, and, right. you know, depending on which one you get in touch, you, you have to make, you know, the, the calls and the balance. And you, you have to sort of weigh it up in your head. But the, it's quite interesting like how important reputation is, right, for individuals and companies. Oh, it's, yeah, it is. And it also, like... As a recruiter, like the last thing I want anybody to think of me is like, oh, I'm a salesperson because I'm I'm not a salesperson. So I have to really like my company I'm working at, you know, and feel like I have really good things to say about it um, to sell it, you know, and I do feel that way with Crafty Apes. Like I know the reputation. I know the people. Um, I've never worked at a company that like we can connect I can connect with people at any location and there's no ego. Everybody's on the same playing field. Um, everybody's treated with respect. And it's just, it's been an easy sell for me going in as a recruiter. Um, a little less so at my prior employee because it was, the reputation was 50-50. Uh, mm. You know, people either loved it or they hated it. So it was, you know, a mixed bag when I was recruiting. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's really interesting. And do and do you find that the experience of recruiting is different for recruiting juniors and recruiting seniors and supervisors? Uh, I, I I think that at least from my experience as a recruiter, you have to be adaptable. Every visual effects supervisor, every location, every producer—they're all different. They all have their own style coming into it. And when I first came in. It felt like everybody wanted, okay, we want to have a process. We want it to be, you know, all things recruiting goes this way. So everything's tucked into a nice little, you know, folder. But it doesn't work that way. And I, I learned to adopt to the heads of studios and what their directives are and um, what their culture is. Because although we have a global company culture, as you know, each location is different, you know, Vancouver's different from LA is different from Atlanta. Like, so some locations are super into juniors, you know, and they, they want to bring juniors on and they want to train them and they want, um, to mold them into what they want for that location. Other people, other locations, they just, they want their core team. And then when there's some work that comes in that they can throw onto a junior, then we hire a junior. So it kind of just depends. I don't have a one-size-fits-all answer for that. <laughs> I mean, I guess um, my question was a little more um, the approach in what you're looking for, because I guess a junior could potentially, it could be their first job, so you're looking at someone coming out of college, and a senior, they often, they very well may likely have a job. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, well, with juniors... Um, I really just want to see, like, I always encourage them not to, like, put everything on their reel. Like, I already know you're going to give me a reel that maybe only has two or three shots on it. Um, I only want to see the shots that you've done through your education or any freelance that you're super proud of, you know, like that you think you did a good job. I don't need to see everything you've did as a project in school and whatnot. Um, and it's really like for us when we're looking at juniors versus seniors, juniors, you know, we put them through a like, usually it's like a three month trial and we're not looking for going from junior to superstar. You know, we're just looking that you're understanding the process and that you're making gradual improvements. Whereas obviously if you come on as a senior, well, you got to have a good reputation. Um, we Typically, obviously, the quality of work needs to look good. And we typically hire people who you might have, um, as a senior, you might like to do, say, matte paintings or 3D integration, and you don't like to do beauty work. Um, 
but and that's fine. We'll try to give you those shots. But we also look for those who are like, yeah, I know I got to do the bread and butter shots on occasion. And I'm fine with that too. Sometimes I'll just put my headsets on, get in my zone and do the roto work or the beauty work or whatever it is. Um, so we're looking for those seniors who are in it for more of the collaborative effort. Um, if you're, if you came to us and said, Hey, I want to go work on, I just want to work on Marvel shows and that's it. Well, that's not going to be us because we work on Marvel shows, but that's not all we do. You know, um, we have a lot of clients and a lot of variety. So, um, we're hoping to find seniors that don't mind mixing it up a little. Um, but we're definitely not that company you go to if you just want one specific type of shot and, you know, want to be on that ILM credit in the movies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was a funny story about uh, Marvel shows and seniors and juniors is when I was working at Fame Store and um, men came in and uh, they were talking to, you know, staff there and they, they found it, they really found it hard to get juniors on the show, but every senior that I think Ben asked, they just were like, yeah, we want to do it. Every, every, senior, yeah. every senior that asked jumps on a chance to do something weird and crazy and like a little bit mental, which that film obviously is. Um, and I think there's, there's, there is a, you know, there are different things maybe, uh, or if you're starting a family or, you know, there, there's certain things where a Marvel show is less attractive than I, I think if it's your, if you're starting in the industry, there's nothing like working on the biggest show around, right? You want to. Right. Cool. So I guess now um, let's flip the flip the thing around a little bit. Let's take three Im uh, imaginary candidates. We've got like a, a, a someone straight out of college. They've done a lot of generalist things, but they've decided to go two D, and so they want to do you know they want to get into roto prep. Um, someone who's kind of a, a mid. They've done a lot of um, they've done a lot of match moves. They've done a little bit of modelling, and they want to. Uh, progress within 3D. They actually want to change slightly and move into lighting. Uh, and a third person who is a, a sort of very strong mid, but they want to get into leading and becoming a comp soup or something like that. Mm -hmm. So what advice would you give to those three people? Um, okay, so let's go to the junior. I'll start there. Um, my advice being just getting into the his his or her career and getting your foot in the door is um, one thing I encourage because it's really hard obviously as a junior you know you and your classmates are getting out and you're all going to fight for the same few junior jobs that are out there um, we do have those openings like I said not a huge amount but when we do it's great to bring juniors on who are really enthusiastic and open to learning and can take direction and aren't afraid to ask questions. Um, if they don't get into a position right away, I highly encourage going out and finding little freelance jobs. I mean, it doesn't pay a lot usually, but you can find there's so much, you know, smaller scale work out there where you can just, you know, get in and start understanding what it is to be a part of a team and work on a project. And in some cases, you might even get to kind of really own those visual effects or whatever it is for that project, just because you might be the only person on it because that's all they can afford. Um, so those little projects, although they're not, you know, as exciting as getting a full-time job, um, I encourage them to go to just try and get those kind of jobs, whatever you can add to your reel. Um, I, I often get juniors coming out of college who think they're going to get a full-time staff job with benefits right away. Um, sometimes they even apply for the mid or senior level positions. And it's like, have your, you got to set your expectations, um, you know, and another thing I encourage juniors to do when they're just getting out there and trying to get started is go on LinkedIn and find a mentor. There are so many senior artists out there who love to mentor like artists and like, Hey, you have a green screen comp. You want to show them once you become their friend on LinkedIn can I show you a shot? Can you give me some advice? Or how would you have handled this situation that I'm in? Um, any any kind of mentorship, I think, is so valuable. You learn so many tricks that way. And especially now that we're not in the office, it's not like you're looking over at someone's next to you and say, hey, can you help me? Is there a better way to do this? 
um, it's harder now. You know, you got to yeah. chat with someone online and pull up your project, and then they take control of your screen and show you what to do. And it's just not as you know fluid as it used to be. Um, so that that's my advice for the junior. Um, so your mid-level character is. They, they've done. Um, they've been a. Ma they've been. They're three D generalists. They've done. They've studied to be three D generalists, but their their work experience is all match move and some basic modeling. They want to move into lighting, so they might not okay. have experience in this particular role they're looking for. That's a good one. I think for that level, if if they're saying they specifically want to get into just lighting, and they were a generalist, and they were you know stuck more on the modeling side, um, they're going to have to probably search out those companies that have those big 3d pipelines you know so like lighting is a department of like 50 people you know working on yeah. a feature film um and it's probably going to be easier for them to get into that scenario because they're going to be given a certain amount of shots to work on and maybe they can get more of the easier lighting shots in the beginning and then as they hone in on their skill and get better take on some of the more um difficult lighting projects because um, I like for us for the type of company crafty apes is like I told you we're more generalist based so if someone came to us and all they did was lighting well then they're probably not going to get as much experience in lighting because that's not all we need you know we do need you to model and maybe jump a nuke or whatnot um, so yeah, that would did that answer your question? Oh, yeah, I think that was it. That's seeking out the more three D pipeline companies. And, and do you think, yeah. in terms of showreel, they would have to like, I guess they'd have to present some more, probably add some personal projects or something like that. Oh yeah, right? definitely, definitely. Yeah, you. I some of the best reels I've seen from people is when it's just their their work that they've done their own personal projects, um, some really beautiful stuff and. For lighting, I mean, really, what's the reality? We want to see that you have an eye, you know, that you have a good eye. And that um, if it's, you know, not an animated film, but reality, you know, is it realistic, you know? So you can show that in any way, you know, depending on what kind of projects you want to work on. Um, even artwork, you know, mm -hmm. like love seeing everybody's an artist in this industry and I love seeing their personal artwork as well. Um, yeah, and the motivation, you know. Brilliant. Yeah. My my guess is is if you're a generalist, you have some lighting experience, you know. Yeah. Might not be a lot, but you have some. Yeah, so you can at least show that you've done a couple of production shots and then if you have some very strong personal work, you you've got a good lighting reel that you can at least get a junior lighting role with and and do that department right. and move. And your senior character. So our senior has um it's like a mid, uh, a mid comp. I, I probably am being a little bit comp. Uh, I don't want to be too comp biased because I know I'm a compositor, so I think compositors. But uh, yeah, they're a, they're a good mid, and they're looking to sort of move into leading, comp supervising. They don't have any experience in that particular role, um, and they've mm -hmm. seen an opening, and they're looking to sort of move that way. So, what would your advice be in that scenario? Um, well, from a crafty apes perspective. Um, the good news is for that kind of candidate is we love artists who are not afraid to take on multiple roles and we encourage people to grow and transition within Crafty Apes where we like to promote from within. We um, give our artists usually, depending on the complexity of the project, about two to three projects to work on at any given time. So if we get in um, a smaller scale project, um, we are more than happy to put someone like that who wants to try leading um, on that show. Maybe they're buddied up with someone else so they have like a mentor to work side by side with. Um, so for that kind of candidate, I think seeking out a company like Crafty Apes um, is actually beneficial. We're, if you go to I'm sorry, I keep picking on Sony. I don't mean to. It's just like, <laughs> um, but if you go to a larger company with the pipeline that's broken out like that, you kind of get pigeonholed right into like the same old shot. So if you're if you're doing 
If you're a 3D artist and you're doing water, that's all you're doing. We don't do that. We like to mix it up. So you might be working on a variety of different shots, a variety of different shows, and give people that opportunity to jump in and lead when it's when it's possible. We understand why you keep the person who's good at water doing water shots. Um, they're going to get very good at it and they're going to do them very well. But at a certain point, they are going to get demotivated, aren't they? And they're going to, the quality is going to start to go down again or not imp- or at least not improve. Yeah, I mean, and it goes both ways because I have run into artists too who they like just being in one. They don't want to expand beyond that. Um, so it definitely depends on the individual. But yeah, I mean, I've seen it over and over again where artists just get thrown on the same shots over and over and they get bored and they're just like, I don't, I can't do this anymore, you know. Um, and I think that's why this generalist strategy, although it's harder to find those people, has worked so well for us because it gives us the opportunity to shift them around on different projects, you know, and if like there's a 911 at another location on a show and, hey, we know this guy in LA is really good at this task, let's move him over there. We have that ability to do that, you know, um, and move people around kind of like, you know, game of chess, just yeah. like figuring out where all the pieces go. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it depends on multiple factors, right? But um, we don't like to pigeonhole people into one specific task. So, so, so is part of your remit also those kind of internal applications where someone wants to move up or they want to move to a different location or you want someone to move to a different location? Do you get involved in those kind of conversations? Um, not so much at that point. It's more of like an HR, you know, like talk to your supervisor um, and... And then they transition, like, but we're, we're big on that. We've moved people from LA to Atlanta. We've had people move, you know, between here and Canada, Canada and here. I moved a guy from Vancouver to um, Albuquerque, you know, so it's like, uh, we encourage that. Like, I think there's nothing more valuable than growing people within. We actually just had some very high level positions filled where I was looking externally, but we encouraged people internally to to apply for them and let your supervisor know you want to be considered for the position. And we ended up promoting about five people in really high-level positions, which is great because they had been here since the beginning. And they, who knows us better than people who have been here from the start, you know? Um, yeah, you can bring in someone who has decades of experience to be our global head of talent and, you know, work the system. And they, they know the how it all works out there. But I do, I think we find value in the people that we've um, grown up with and, you know, they've taken on, if they show the um, motivation and they can take on multiple hats and they're wanting to grow and move into another position, then yeah, absolutely. You know, we'd rather promote from within. But no, those conversations go with HR. No, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, but... Um, I think it's really interesting because it, it's amazing often that when you do go from one company to another, you're you're often offered a lot more money or a much bigger role. Um, and, and, and it's the same companies that are often quite unwilling to, you know, I, I do, I do, I don't know that what the, if, if there's a, if there's a business motivation for this, but within the same companies, I find, you know, when, when you move from one company to another, you can get a very large pay rise or a very large kind of, increase in role and and it's much harder to request that within the same company i I don't know if there's a business reason why companies operate that way i'm sure there's a logic to it somewhere um i haven't found we we're very good at um maintaining like a company culture that Although we may not pay the highest um, at that company, but here's what we have to offer. We have work-life balance. We care about you as an employee. You're going to get birthday gifts every year. You're going to get an anniversary gift. You're going to get company parties, and we're going on a trip glamping in Yosemite. And, you know, we do things to um, make the work-life balance Mm. 
worth it. Um, I'm not saying we don't pay well, but it's, you know, if, if you're coming, if you're only making that jump to an, another ship for the money, then we're probably not that either because we want people who want to be with us and want longevity and want to build relationships with us and not people who just want to like, okay, I'll be here for a couple months. And now that I know your pipeline, I'm going to jump and go work on this feature over here. You know, like that's probably not a fit for us. Um, some people, some, I mean, artists, some artists just like jumping ship and moving from project to project and not being in the same company at the same, all, you know, all the time. So it kind of depends on what you're looking for, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know if it's similar in, um, and in London, there's very much often more, not so much a jumping from company to company, but very often a kind of merry-go-round where, you know, an artist will work for two or three companies on a kind of rotation um, over over time because they, they tend to go back and, and work, you know, a project here and then a project there, and then they will often return to companies that they've worked for prior. I mean, I don't know if you have a similar situation where you have artists who you rehire multiple times for different projects or... Or are you trying to keep your um, your team? We quite try stable? to keep our people. We yeah we we like to convert people to employees if they like it here, and they want to stay. We'd rather have you be an employee. Um, and it's different to your point. It's different in every market, right? So New York, um, we wanted to build our core team of people. And we wanted them to be staff because the culture in New York is a lot like what you're saying. People who rotate at different companies, they don't want to commit. They want to work freelance. They want to be able to take their one to two months off a year. Um, and so it was hard because my mission was to get people to join on staff and, you know, be a part of what we're building. And it was a hard, that was hard. That was challenging. LA, not so much. People are like, yeah, sign me up. I want benefits. I don't want to pay for medical, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, each location was different for sure. And then, of course, if you're relocating someone, you're not going to relocate someone for them to be freelance. No. So we want to see commitment, you know. So, yeah, for me, tapping into the London market is going to be interesting because it's going to be a whole new set of uh, challenges that I'll face. Um and also a lot of the projects in London are really high end, you know? Yeah. Um, and we do high end projects. It's just, we also mix them up with bread and butter projects. We have clients that have been with us since day one, you know, so we're not going to not work with those clients too. Um, so yeah, it'll be, it'll be a different market for me for sure. No, that's that's really any help anyone can give me would be great. <laughs> so yeah, well, I mean that's why um, I mean I think the fact that this is such a that this industry is such a small community is kind of one of the inspirations why me and Kofi, you know, got well one how we kind of met and through the fact that everyone knows someone like it kind of almost like everyone's a Kevin Bacon to someone else, and uh, and then of course we um, right. it's just a feeling that you are a community and you want to help that community the way you can or help people that want to come into that community. And get the best people, when you can't answer the question, get the best people to answer the questions like we're doing now. Um. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm going to quote my, one of the founding partners. The thing about Crafty that makes it unique is it was founded by artists. And they stayed, like, even though as Crafty Apes grew, and they be our visual effects supervisors and whatnot, they still jump on the box. They will still jump in and help on a project and push it through to de delivery. Um, and the, the company culture is that of what a visual effects artist is. It's, yeah. That's what we are. We're visual effects artists as a company. Um, and we believe in this community. And one of the first things, you know, it was three months in when the pandemic hit. And everybody's like going home and I was the first recruiter that they had. And I was a little nervous because I'm like, okay, companies are letting people go. Why are they going to need a recruiter right now? And I was talking to one of the founding partners and this conversation came up because I was a little worried, you know, I was the new kid on the block. And he was like, 
no way. He's like, this is the time to hire people. This is the time to support our community. I am not letting anyone go. And you go out there, you find the people who are being let go. Let's interview them and get them in the door. I was like, okay. Like, that is where his head came from. You know, it was not of the corporation saying, oh, got to cut all these people out. Let 200 people go. And let's wait and see what happens. You know, it, so that's the perspective of what I deal with as a recruiter, which is so different than and people rem- the big comp. People remember that, right? People will remember, um, you know, that they'll remember that you've helped them out in a, in a difficult spot. And, um, you know, even like I remember working at one of us and, and, you know, they kept us all on throughout the pandemic. And then, you know, they, they, they used the furlough scheme strategically, which the British government had put in place, but only mm-hmm. insofar as to kind of keep us between the delays between shows coming in. And they were very, you know, very good at like keeping artists there. Uh, and so when, you know, when my contract was ending and it was like, should I renew or, or, or start another thing, um, which, you know, I was, at that point, it was a very difficult decision because it was really, um, you do you do feel this attachment there. And it's the sort of company you think, well, I'd always, you know, always have a link there and always kind of want to go back there and you still know people. So right. I think when you build those relationships, they, they stay with people. And even if people move around, I mean, it's, it's quite important. So uh, it's good to see that mentality still going because you do see it becoming a little bit more, I guess, as it's maturing as an industry, becoming a little more conventional and a little bit more corporate kind of management style, um, a little bit more managerial across the board. Yeah. Um, I, I've one of uh, one of the attractions of Lola for me was a similar thing. It's it's a you know, it's one of the I think it's one of the last little companies that has sort of stayed um, relatively independent. So it's it's um, yeah it's an interest and and funnily enough the recruiter that spoke to me for my current job was uh, the first person to hire me as a freelance like roto artist with the the, the person with very mm-hmm. little experience. So you know like sort of a decade ago or something i don't know when <laughs> i have to check the age of my kids do you do that do you date like your life by like how old your kids were when certain things happened i started doing that yeah <laughs> or what album came out my life is a is like oh yeah that was my eighth grade <laughs> whenever i hear a song what is i think it, this is interesting of the the generation of artist-led companies because that was very much the norm sort of 15 20 i mean when you started that was probably much more the norm but increasingly it's not right increasingly companies have joined together and and you've got bigger and bigger companies um right that sort of a kind of little bounce with with the various layers of management and so it's interesting to have managers who are still on the box and still in there. yeah and i think that's that's the key because when you're seeing them on the box and passionate and wanting to you know, get the show delivered and have it look really great, you know, then it keeps you motivated, right? Yeah. It As an employee, you're like, he's doing it, I can do it, you know, we can do this, you know. So. Oh, yeah. So the question I wanted to ask is, what about software? Like, what I mean is, um, you know, obviously you're hiring journalists and people, I mean, you presumably have a specific pipeline, a specific set of tools you use. How important is it when you're looking at a new employee that they already have experience with particular tool set that you have? Um, well, it depends. I guess it kind of depends on what they're applying for. So, um, for let's take compositing, we are Nuke-based company. However, we have a few Flame artists and some Flames. So. Um, and we've hired visual effects supervisors who are only flame based. Um, so it's, you know, ideally our pipeline is nuke, but we aren't afraid to step out of that pipeline to accommodate talent. Um, when it comes to 3D, we're primarily Maya based, but we do have Houdini for effects and 3DS Max. Um, and you know, if, if that's their comfort zone, then they can stay on that. Um, but we're primarily a Maya-based and Duke-based pipeline, at least at the moment. 
So, so your approach is if you have an artist who is a, a 3ds Max user, you'll keep them on 3ds Max. You won't go right. We want you to transition to Maya. You you'd rather keep them in their software they're comfortable with rather than have them kind of moved and and have to like relearn certain things. Yeah. So you keep your, your so far. That's really yeah. That's really cool. Obviously, it makes your pipeline more complicated, but it's it's there's a there's a value, especially when you're looking for particular talented generalists. Um, and have you started looking at real time and real time em employees as well? Because it's obviously a new skill set that's coming in. Are there any challenges to that? If you are, um, we have um, partnered with on projects and done some Unreal and. Um, I recently just hired, we launched an innovation department and hired um, uh, machine learning engineers. So we're getting more into that ex exploration as well. Um, it, in fact, I hired 10 machine learning engineers within a few months. So it's a new area for us. Um, wow. Unreal, we dabbled in, you know, through the pandemic and whatnot. And we are, we do have the, that on the horizon. It's just, I'm, I can't say like, oh, I'm out there recruiting for these people right now. I'm, I'm actually not. Um, whenever it came to a project that needed Unreal, we typically um, partnered up with someone, um, but didn't necessarily bring someone on full time to work. Okay. Um, if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's, 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 especially because it's very different from, from the things. Although I guess a general, a, a company made of, made up primarily of generalists would have an easier time adapting to something like that, just because generalists by nature have, are always learning software, right? If you're right, they've always got, they're right. always learning something. So one more thing. <laughs> and it's a generalist software, it's a software kind of it's almost like a dream software for a generalist it's it feels like it's right made for generalists is there anything you see that you've seen over your time in the industry that's changed dramatically or that or what do you what do you think are the biggest changes you've seen and what are the biggest constants the elephant in the room is the pandemic and everyone transitioning from home because for me the reality is i'm still interviewing people all around the country and around now london so I can't be in every location at every time to meet people in person. So I feel like what happened was suddenly people got used to being on video. You know, in the beginning, prior to the pandemic, if I had to have an interview with someone and they weren't located near me, it was on the phone. Um, whereas now I'm like interviewing in person and your kid walks into frame or your cat jumps on your shoulder, you know, or you see their artwork behind them. And I feel like I get more of a sense of who they are and I actually get to know them more personally and I have better conversations and I'm not missing that sweaty handshake and uncomfortableness <laughs> where you're sitting in a room and, you know, um, so I feel like it's made it easier for me to read the person um, and just get a sense of who they are and how they would fit in um, culturally in Crafty Apes. So I would say that's the biggest change. And from my perspective, I'd love to hear what other recruiters say, but from my perspective, it's been so much better. And it's made but, it easier too. You know, like I don't have to worry about someone getting stuck in traffic and running late, and then I have another one right after. So it's like I can do back-to-back -back interviews all day long if I have to. And nobody's driving anywhere <laughs> and stressed about, you know, getting to the interview on time. So, I mean, it's fascinating, actually, that you feel that you get more knowledge because there's that there's a, uh, you know, there's a big um, esteem around being in the room in order to know someone. But as you're saying, I guess an interview is kind of an unusual situation for most people. Right? I mean, even it's uncomfortable. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. And. And it also depends on like, okay, who's doing the interviewing? You can have a hiring manager who isn't really too great at interviewing, you know, and that can make it really uncomfortable. Um, and I feel like now when we're like in this video world, um, people are a little bit more loose and it's a little more casual. And um, you kind of, I feel like I see who the person really is 
Um, in person, it was always, like I said, it was very kind of a cold setting and the person's nervous and maybe they're stressed from driving and, you know. And, you know, also the other thing is now I'm not giving tours. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, before it'd be like you do the interview and then you give them a tour of the place and show them around. Well, everybody's working from home. So that whole part of that process is like eliminated. Like, okay, no more tours, you know. <laughs> But that used to be a big part of your cell is like, this is my company, you know, this is where people hang out. Here's the kitchen, you know, but none of that anymore. So that's, that's interesting. And um, as an as an as a recruiter, how much importance do you put on the interview itself um, compared to the rest of the application? Because obviously you've got the showreel and the CV, LinkedIn. Well, it is a big part for us um, because we're more concerned with, it's not that we don't want you to have a good reel or a good resume, but we're more concerned with, are you going to fit in with us and what our culture? Because like I said, if you have an ego or you only want to work on specific projects, then that's just not going to be where you don't want to be with us because... We don't have egos, you know, we're looking for, like I said before, partners and people who want longevity, want to grow with us and want to help build something, um, that they can be proud of. Uh, so I think the actual interview is really important. Um, you can have a good reel and a good resume, but if, if you're in person interview or in person, um, is, isn't, doesn't go well, then it might be a pass or, you know, or, Hey, come work with us to help us finish this for two months kind of thing. You know, um, I think personality is really important. Like in this industry, we're so close to each other, you know, and we're, you know, like I said, it's close knit community. And if you don't get along, that just makes everybody's life very unhappy. Yeah. I mean, if people, if you have a, I don't know, if you have a supervisor people are scared to ask questions of because they're, they're aggressive, the end result is that your juniors make a lot of mistakes and they don't get help. And and the, the whole Yeah, as a terrible. junior, you know, that's a really good point is like, you, you just need to nail the interview. You know, I already know your reel is not going to have much. I know your resume is not going to have much. Um, but if you show initiative and you're motivated and you're excited to learn, you know, we're more than happy. I mean, hell, we've hired baristas at coffee shops up the street, like just because they're, you know, really good personality and they seem like they'd fit in and they're eager to learn, you know, so um, it's important. Resume is important too. Like, okay, as a, a piece of paper I get in front of me, the minute I get a resume that is super busy and has all these little, you know, icons on them and charts and their skill level and and the print's really tiny because they're trying to fit in all these pretty images I'm like I can't look at this like it hurts my eyes and I'm like I'm done <laughs> you know so it's like it I always just try to tell people just keep your resume and your reel like simple make sure you have the breakdowns on your res on your reel uh, make sure your resume has the start and end dates I notice a lot of people these days are like leaving off the dates and I'm like, well, how do I know you didn't just jump from company to company uh, and didn't have repeat business because maybe there's something, you know, that you're doing that's not getting called back. You know, like dates are really important or like how long ago did you graduate from college? You know, if I don't see that date, then it makes it hard for me to understand how you are calling yourself a senior compositor or, you know, mid-level based on the amount of time you've been in the industry so yeah, that's that's really interesting actually especially because i've i remember seeing these really pretty cvs and think oh they look really cool but it's interesting to hear the recruiters are like no <laughs> they're not cool <laughs> <laughs> they're not what i want i've had this one guy the poor guy who was a 3d animator and he put all these beautiful models of models that he built on his resume and then over in the lower left corner, in this tiny, tiny print was the software he used and where he actually had worked. I couldn't even read it. And I'm like, 
no, I need, I need to see this stuff. I like, <laughs> so it's important to have very precise information. Um, another thing people are doing are putting like hyperlinks on their resume, which is great if they work, but then there's a lot of times where the hyperlink gets broken during the applicant tracking system process or whatever. And then I don't have a link to the reel. So then I have to reach out and say, what's your, you know, real link. So I always tell people to just write out your real link. You can do the hyperlink, but have it written out so, so that we can get to it, you know, because um, those yeah. little things delay my process, you know, as I'm trying to get through resumes and it might, you know, if I have to wait for you to send me a reel, I might've found someone else in the meantime and then you missed that opportunity, you know? Um, what do you feel about password protected reels? Does that, because they used to, I've heard people say that makes them suspicious, but I mean, I know also that a lot oh, of companies are I, a bit more rigid about what you can release no. on a reel. I have no problem with a password. Um, we have password protected reels as well on our end. You know, if the client approves us to show before and after of a project we've worked on, we password protect it. Um, I don't, I mean, that's pretty much all our clients are very strict about things going out and, you know, the approval for that. So I get it. Sometimes artists also send the password because there might be some shots on their reel that are not approved to go out or be shown yet. And so they can only show in this one specific instance that they need to put a password on. So from my perspective, I don't have an issue with that. Okay, that's good Good to hear. Because, yeah, it, it is getting more difficult, I find, that companies are less willing to, you know, release stuff. For I've had so many artists, they ask me, can I get this shot for my reel? I'm like, well, uh, no. <laughs> yep. Um, and it, it's, it's quite hard. I mean, the, the, one of the things about the juniors is if you work at, you know, on big films, um, you could be like a year or even two years in and still have your basically your student reel um, because none of that material has been released yet. Right. Which must be tricky. Yes. Um, so, okay. So the other thing is, do you, do you deal with, um, what about references? Does that, does, do you have like, um, I guess one is, do you ask for references and um, also do you um, use referrals within your company? Is that part of your process? So, um, again, going back to how close of a community we are, I ask for references if I don't know you or if someone within Crafty Apes doesn't know you or doesn't have the means to find out feedback about you, um, which has happened, you know, obviously that happens. Um, and then, yes, I will ask for references and I'll follow up and check in to get feedback on the artist. Um, so it kind of depends on what their connection is, how long they've been in the industry, what their reputation is, um, and who do they know. You know, A lot of people I interview already know people in Crafty Apes. So it's easy for me because I can just be like, oh, did you work with so-and-so? How was it? You know, Did it go well? So yeah, it's fairly easy. That's really that's really cool. I mean, yeah, because it's it's a big part. I mean, I think like most, uh, you know, a huge amount of you know my work has come from people I worked with, and I don't mean, you know, and I often I often tell people that are starting out when people ask me that are juniors, it's like your biggest contacts aren't like you walk into the head of Dean Egg in a corridor. It's it's actually the people that you're at your level that are looking for work because when they start working, if they remember you being good on the college project or or being good in that first little little freelance job that you did together, they're the people that will refer you for, for right. companies, right? So, yeah, I think this has been a really, really brilliant interview. and I've really enjoyed having you on the show. Um, I, thank you. Thank you for coming on, really. Thank you for giving up so much of your time. Uh, what time is it out there, speaking of time? It's only one o'clock. Oh, okay. So yeah, so you're at lunchtime. It's it's um, more like dinner time. Well, it's like yeah, nine or ten o'clock here. So yeah. Um, thank you for that. And um, are there any last words you'd like to put before closing? No, I I just say you know like I just encourage people, just 
when recruiters reach out, um, you know, it's funny, either there's some people who seem who can get a little agitated, which is never a recruiter's intention. It's just to build a relationship. And if you're not looking for a change in your job now, that's fine. But um, be open to building a relationship with the recruiter because in the end, they, <laughs> they might help you get your next job, you know. Um, and, and ask questions. I love when I, you know, just like with you and I, how we met, you know, but I love when I um, reach out to someone and maybe they're not interested, but they're like, oh, but I want to hear more about Crafty Apes. You know, just like it's good to, to build knowledge and hear what else is going on out there, you know. Absolutely. I think it's, um, I, and as you say, it's such a, uh, it's a, such a sort of close industry. I think it's really important to maintain that. I know it's getting bigger. There are a lot more people doing it. I mean, I see kids who are, doing VFX in school, you know, so that's that's a big change. I, you know, when I go way back, we interviewed Sean, um, Sean Cunningham, who worked on True Lies, and, you know, there, there was no VFX in school at, when he was doing right. it. Right. So, um, it's really interesting to talk about, um, you know, when I, you know, I've done uh, interviewed apprentices who have literally done it in um, well, what you call high school. So they've done a kind of... Um, instead of A-levels, which would be what you do when you're 17, 18 here, they've actually done a, um, a VFX-based um, certificate and, and they've mm -hmm. come straight out of school with a VFX qualification. I mean, that's that's a very new kettle of fish. <laughs> yeah, it is. But at the same... And, I mean, you can complete these programs in two years at these colleges and it's like, think of all the money you're saving, you know, like, going to traditional university where you're getting your four years and whatnot, a lot of these people that come out of these two-year schools are amazing, you know? Um, so it's interesting, yeah. It's changed a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Right, well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm sure we'll speak again. Thank you. I'm looking forward to the reactions video. So um, thank you so much. And right. Thank you, it was great to chat with you. Mm -hmm.